Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. My name is Danny Moore. They're going to make their way off the stage while I give an intro here. Thank you, Pastor Corey, wherever you are, for the opportunity to preach tonight and to be with these special and precious people. Anybody tired here tonight? All right, there's an honest man or two. Yes. Got a lot on your plate? Had a lot on your plate last week. Got a lot more coming this week. Our pastor has chosen a series about anchoring ourselves deep. But deep in what? Deep in the Bible, deep in God's love, deep in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, all of the above, because all of us are tired in one way or another. And I just so appreciate you being here tonight, making a commitment to being here when you're worn out. Amen? I want to lead us in prayer, and then I'll start preaching. Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. I thank you for the group that you have arranged to be here. Father, I thank you for your great love. I thank you for the commitment of these people who are tired and worn out and Father, they could have chosen to be anywhere tonight, just staying home, just taking it easy, watching something on Netflix or Prime, but they're here. Uh, because, Father, we need a message of hope from you. We are tired. We are exhausted. Some of us are worn out. Some of us, we don't know what the future holds in the next day, the week, month, or year. And, Father, we're, we're scared. We're intimidated. And, Father, we have friends here tonight that are just so burdened down by life. Father, they've been attacked. They've been desperate. They uh, have been on the downside of circumstances. And, Father, they're worn out. Uh, Father, I think all of us have been there at some time, but some of us are there tonight, and we feel overwhelmed. And I, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would refresh them, Father, that they would find rest for their weary souls in you tonight. Uh, Holy Spirit, do your, your special work through the Word of God as it's preached and remove all the, the roadblocks that we put up between us and you so that you can work in our lives. Help us take a step closer to you tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when Pastor gave me the opportunity, first told me about preaching and the passage, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, I have to admit it's one of my favorite passages. And it's about uh, those who are worn out, and it's about finding rest in a relationship with Jesus Christ our Savior. Uh, I'm no stranger to burdens. I have a lot myself, or have had a lot. I know that you have too. And one reason I love my pastor, there are many reasons, right? Shall we count? But one of those is that he is a burden bearer or burden sharer. I think we kind of expect pastors to be like that, but we often take them for granted, you know? But our pastor, Corey Ball, will meet with you. He will listen to you, share your, your heartaches, your struggles, your burdens, He'll not just listen with his ears, but he'll listen with his, there you are, he'll listen with his heart. And, you know, sometimes we just need to be listened to. We're not looking for a solution all the time, are we? And he'll do that. He's a burden bearer. And 
we as redemption, as a church, we want to be an extension of who he is, who our Lord Jesus Christ is. We want to be the kind of person, the kind of church where you can come and relax and be yourself, let your hair down. Well, some of us can do that. Mine just goes up, okay? But we want you to be able to learn about God in a very safe place where you don't feel threatened, where you might be able to feel vulnerable and share your deepest burden so that you can find rest for your soul. Because let's face it, friends, we all have burdens. Oh, I forgot Galatians 6 two. Pray for me. I must be acclimated to the PowerPoint screen up here, all right? My pastor, he's so good at this. He's got his iPad over here all the time, and he, you know, and I'm just not as savvy technologically as him, okay? So I'll rely on this one up here. Very simply, this verse in Galatians, share each other's burdens. Because we all have burdens, and we need rest for our souls, don't we? Yeah, we're all so diverse in so many ways, and yet so many things as a human race unify us. They bring us together. Our struggles, our hurts, our burdens, they wear us out. And here's the good news. You might look at that and say, I don't know if that's good news, but God uses burdens to wear us out. He really does. Uh, please don't think that God is mean-spirited. Like God is vengeful or has something against us or he's a, ah, I got you, God. He's not like that at all. He's not mean-spirited. If he was, he wouldn't be God, perfect and holy in his righteousness. But God knows how we're made because we're made in his image and in his likeness, right? And so he knows that our default is often to trust in ourselves and our way of doing things, our humanity, our human wisdom. It's worked in the past. It'll work again. And God, I'll need you for the big things maybe, but I'm fine here. You know, I can handle this. I can do this. And no, I can't, and I'm a mess. Uh, we need God because he's got these burdens that he either engineers or allows in our lives. And these burdens wear me out so that I can no longer trust in myself, in my own wisdom, but trust in him and him alone. Now, like I said, I'm no stranger to uh, some heartaches and some burdens. And is it okay if I share with a, few, a few of those with you tonight? Thank you. This means yes. Yeah, good. All right. Uh, and as I share these, I want you to be listening with one ear, but with the other. Perhaps listen in your heart and, and think about the burdens you've experienced in life. And I know you have. I know you've been loaded down at one time or another, or maybe right now with, with burdens that just take the energy out of us, the, the creativity, uh, that maybe we just are existing and not living. Think about your burdens and ask questions as I'm speaking. Uh, what was that burden like for me? What, did I, what was I feeling at the time? What, was I asking, or was I doubting God? God, are you really here in the midst of this burden? I'm worn out. Don't you see? Don't you hear? Don't you care? Now, I know I'm the one preaching and that we can't compare notes, all right? But I believe there's a God in heaven who, and I'd stake my life on this, he hears you right now. He hears your hearts. He knows what we were thinking. He knows what we were feeling 10 years ago tonight. And he wants you to give those burdens up to him. Now, just a couple of mine, all right? And I, I was a little hesitant. I don't want to go too dark on you tonight because these first two situations in my life were kind of discouraging, all right? Uh, when I was five, six, or so, I had this little dog named Susie. Susie was a, collar, a collie mix, and she was the sweetest thing on the face of this earth. I'm not kidding. 
So in the morning, the first thing I'd do is, if Susie was outside, the weather was nice, I'd run out on the back porch and hug Susie. Or if the weather was nasty and she was in the kitchen, uh, she was on a leash, but I'd just run over there and, you know, get my lick and hug her, and she just meant the world to me. And then Susie was no more. It's not just that Susie passed away, but it's how she passed away. It was very tragic, and I'll not, there's no need to describe that. I don't know about you, but do we have memories in our lives that uh, they might have happened 25, 30, 40 years ago, but just like that, it seems like it's fresh on your heart and mind? There I was in the hallway of our house, and I'm hugging my mom. I'm about up to her waist, you know, and I'm sobbing uncontrollably, just weeping, weeping buckets of tears, and she's holding me. She's trying to bear my burden, and she did, and you know, uh, we have those things in life, and in time, I moved on. About three years later, uh, I had a precious grandpa. His name was Freddie, Frederick Sigmund, and Freddie was married to Granny. And most of my life, I didn't know Granny's first name. I thought it was Granny, okay? But they're a wonderful couple, and uh, they'd been over to the house one evening. They were playing cards, and, you know, I saw my grandpa, and he gave me a nickel, which back then, you know, in 19, I don't know, 63-ish, 62, you know, a nickel went a little farther. But we went to bed, and three hours later, one in the morning, I'll never forget that phone ring in the middle of the night, and the sound of that eerie siren just pierced in the darkness in a night that was getting darker and darker. My grandpa had passed away instantly of a, a massive stroke. My father went and got my grandma, Granny, and, and brought her up to our house, and friends, I just will never forget the look of sadness on her face. You know, there's sadness, and then there's sadness. Uh, she was crying out, my Freddie, my Freddie, my dear Freddie. That made me feel so alone and scared. I was frightened. And yet, time goes by, doesn't it? Uh, I moved on. Uh, isn't that what we do? Although we, we might leave a little piece of our hearts here with Susie or over here with a grandpa or a family member of the past. But we go on. So... After those two, I want to cheer you up a little bit. Now, this, this experience of mine is uh, not really cheerful, okay? But it's, it's better than the others. I, I rode the bus until I was in high school, until I was finally able to drive. And uh, I was a couple miles away, our house was, from this small town of ruffians. I think the WWF for wrestlers started there in this little town. And there were all these boys and young men that were trying to out-testosterone each other. Now, unfortunately, I was the last person to get on the bus every morning. And this bus was full, and there was no room in the end for Danny. There was no room on the seat, okay? No place for me to sit. Often I had, I mean, the, the, the very corner of a corner of a seat until someone would go like this, and I'd be on the floor. I was physically abused. I was beaten in the back of the head. I was beaten in the ribs. I was kicked in the rear end. Uh, you name it, they did it to me. But, hey, friends, you know the old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones. Those words really hurt me. Yeah, I could take anything to dish out physically, but those words, you know, penetrated my heart. They ridiculed me. They verbally abused me. And what do you do with that when you're in grade school? <laughs> you know, what do you do with that when you're in middle school? I did turn around one time and just flat out hit a guy in the face, and he was so shocked. Most of the time, I just took it. That's what I was expected to do. Well, you know, we go through life, and don't these burdens kind of accumulate on our souls? Don't they wear us down, make us tired, make us mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted? And that's what happened to me. I appeared to be a thriving boy on the outside in high school, but 
I really wasn't, and I graduated high school finally, and boy, it doesn't seem like it seems like it takes forever to graduate high school. I guess it doesn't. Nobody's, and never mind, I'll move on, all right? But I got married at a very young age, and that led to a broken marriage. I had two precious girls, and it was, man, it was just so hard, so full of heartache, but I continued to move on. Uh, back in 77, there was an artist by the name of Jackson Brown. He wrote a song, Running on Empty. Anybody know that song? Running on Empty. Okay, I won't. Thanks, Craig. I won't sing it. My rockers like Craig back here are ready to go, all right? But here's the chorus. Running on, running on empty. Running on, running blind. Running on, running into the sun, but I'm running behind. Friends, I was running on empty. Here I was, 23 years old. I was a failure, I thought, in so many ways. Devastated over losses in my life. Didn't know what the future was, would hold. I was afraid. I was scared. I, you know, I'll be very honest with you. My um, heart was in pieces. I was tattered. Again, we all have burdens. and need rest for our souls, do we not? That's where I was. That's where I was. And there was more going on in my life. And I know some of you can relate. You know, besides the daily grind, the, all the things we go through that can tear us down and bring us down, there's an inner struggle that many of us feel with God. We may recognize it's with God, and we may not, but God is there in the background trying to woo us through his love and his kindness and his mercy to himself. He was doing that in my life. And maybe you've thought this. Maybe we are worn out because we're unsure of, a, of our eternal destiny. Well, think about that for a second. Wouldn't that tend to make you tired or worried if you do believe there is a God in heaven and I'm here on earth, and if this God is true, the God of the Bible, uh, the Judeo-Christian ethic, the Bible, the New Testament, the Old Testament, it's true there's a God in heaven who loves mankind, but our sins separate us from him. Well, I'm in trouble. I should be worried about that, and a great tragedy in our lives if we're not concerned about that. You know, if, the, if that's you here tonight and you're not really concerned, uh, maybe you're not concerned because you know uh, that Jesus is the answer, and you've trusted in him. You know, that's what happened to me, but maybe you're here tonight and you're not thinking that. You're just, it's all going to work out in the end. I want to challenge you. Uh, I'm going to pray that God brings you closer to God through this message that He's using your burdens to wear you out. I had some friends uh, from high school on over a period of six years. They told me the story of God. And they explained to me that there was this God. He loved me. That my sins had created an eternal chasm between us. I couldn't reach him no matter how hard I worked, no matter how good I was, was as a person I fell short of heaven. And I thought that was the way that, you know, all of us get to heaven. Now, hopefully my good works outweigh my bad works. That's how I thought God graded me and you. And his friends shared that, no, that God solved the solution to our soul rest. God solved the solution to our reconciliation with God the Father because God sent his son, you know his name, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus lived the life that I should have lived, but I couldn't because he was perfect. He perfectly followed God's commands with a, a heart of love and obedience. And Jesus came to the end of his life. He went to the cross 
to take my place there. He was my substitute. It should have been me there on the cross, but Jesus took our place, all right? He didn't just die there. He suffered because the Father punished the Son for my sins and yours. That's right. Jesus earned my way to heaven through his good work. I could never be good enough to earn my way to heaven. Neither can you. And I'm looking out and I see good, precious people, special people created in the image of God. And we hear the saying, well, we're all children of God. Well, we're all made in his image and likeness. But no, not necessarily are we children of God unless we become children through faith in Jesus Christ. And these friends shared. And uh, about the time of the divorce, when I was 23 years old, I finally believed. My last stumbling block was the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the Bible teaches that God is, Jesus is God's son and that he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. And that was the last stumbling block for me. Uh, over time, it wasn't people wearing me down. It was just reading the Bible and come to an understanding that it was true. And if you're here tonight and you're struggling with, can I really believe in a resurrection of a man from the dead? I want to encourage you, write, write a little note on your Connect card. Our pastor, Corey, preached around Easter time, I think right before Easter, uh, about all the different theories of why Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And he very methodically, lovingly, kindly, tactfully smashed everyone. Right? He did rise from the dead, and I believed, and I was saved. I was a new person. Uh, God began to change me. All those burdens that had weighed me down, well, they were still there, but God is beginning to give me rest and my soul from them. He, he gave me rest because now I know that if I die, I know my place in heaven is there with him. God has established that through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I, it's not turning over a new leaf, friends. My heart was cold and stony and dead, and God gave me a new heart. And he gave me his Holy Spirit within me to empower me to obey whatever he commanded. And I began to serve because that's what disciples do. You know, we serve. We have a slide here at Redemption. You'll see it in the, uh, before the service starts about opportunities to serve. And for a while, I drove a bus for the church to pick up kids in a local neighborhood. That was scary. It ended a couple years later when the bus was in a ditch. All right, we'll talk about that another time. But I also cleaned the church on a periodical basis and did it with fun and joy and God gave me the opportunity to teach the Bible, and I did that. The point is, you know, when we come to know Jesus, we become his servants. Not because we have to or we ought to, but because we want to, right? And I do believe we still have opportunities here at Redemption. If you want to help people park, that's right. If you want to do the new here, start here table, you want to greet people as they come in, you want to help set up, this is what we do when we love Jesus. Uh, we serve him. Well... I've been through a lot there. What's the next slide, Allison? Put that up there for me, just to help remind me of where I'm going. Ah, circa 1980, all right? There's a picture of me, the year I was saved, made right with Jesus. Uh, those are my precious little girls. Aren't they sweet? Uh, they were and they are. So we were over on Keefe Creek Road doing a horse ride, pony ride, uh, led by a German shepherd. And uh, I know you love that hair, right? Hair's changed a little bit, and no, Jeff Shear, you cannot have that headband. And uh, Pastor, you cannot have those tube socks. You know, they'll come back in style someday, but 
they mysteriously disappeared. I don't know where they went. All right? But that was me. And six and a half years later, God brought uh, the most wonderful woman into my life. Her name is Teresa. She's here tonight. I love her. God uh, helped change my life through her. I can't imagine life without her. There we are on uh, our wedding day. Not just one, all. Okay? Isn't she beautiful? The blushing bride. What happened to that young man? Well, we got married, and you know, we, we've had suburbans, haven't you? You know, we've had, uh, Teresa had miscarriages. We've had cancers and surgeries, unemployment, lots of stress, some bad decisions made by yours truly that put stress on our family. But Jesus was there with us through all of it, and he still is today. Well, enough about me. You can leave that beautiful picture of my bride up there as long as you want. But enough about me. Teresa's like, no, you're embarrassing me. I want to introduce you to a character tonight. Some of you may know of him already. His name is Matthew. Uh, There's a whole book in the Bible uh, bearing his name, the Gospel of Matthew, the good news, as we continue to be anchored deep in the Word of God. And we have a tradition led by our pastor here. He started this on day one. Uh, When we go to the Bible in a service, we encourage you to all be on the same page with the table of contents to find out where that book is. So if you have a hard copy or uh, your, your phone, there's a, the UVerse app, which is wonderful. My wife uses it all the time. If you're online joining us tonight, whichever one of those options works for you, but look for Matthew. First is the Old Testament in the Bible, and then the New Testament. And the first book of the New Testament is the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 9, beginning with verse 9 in just a sec. But Matthew, as you can see, we, he had a lot to say, didn't he? Uh, 28 chapters uh, the editors made out of his book. But Matthew was a man that was very content being behind the scenes. Of the original 12 men that uh, Jesus called to be a part of his married little band, the disciples, only three of them never have their spoken words recorded. And Matthew is one of those people. There's a whole book that he wrote about Jesus, but he shows that life is about Jesus. Uh, We want to make much of Jesus, our Savior, and not ourselves. That was the kind of man Matthew was. And dares me to his heart. Matthew didn't start out that way, if you know the story. But let's read Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose, he, and he rose and followed him. As Jesus passed from there, well, where's from there? Well, Jesus had just healed a man who was uh, paralyzed. Our pastors preached about him a couple times. He was paralyzed. Jesus not only took the paralysis away so he could walk, but he forgave him of his sins. And the people that were there, they were amazed and afraid, and they they glorified God. So passing on from there, Jesus sees a man called Matthew. Now, the, the name Matthew is gift of God. And I am sure that his parents, when they named him, they probably had this deep desire in their hearts that he would be a man that would be a gift to their family, their community, uh, to the Jewish nation. And it didn't quite start out that way for Matthew. Because Matthew was in a tax booth, or at the tax booth. He was on this great west road from uh, Syria, Damascus in Syria, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in the town of Capernaum. Capernaum. Pastor, am I saying that right? There's so many different pronunciations, you know. You want to say Capernaum, we love you, all right? I'll say Capernaum tonight. I might say Capernaum next week, okay? But there he was, sitting at his tax booth. 
Uh, it's who he was, it's what he did as a very young man. We believe, well, I'm standing on the shoulders of Pastor and Casey who have spoken to us before about the disciples were probably a very young group of men, perhaps even teenagers. And Matthew was very accomplished. Matthew is very intelligent. You had to be, to be a tax collector. Uh, Matthew, I'm sure, had a record uh, book where he kept track of transactions, of who was taxed, how much was taxed, who needs to be taxed. He was a visionary. He probably had a whole book dedicated to, ooh, how can I tax this or tax that? Uh, if the boat, a boat crossed the Sea of Galilee, Matthew had a hand in taxing that. Uh, our pastor's a, a big fisherman. Amen? If pastor caught a fish on the Sea of Galilee, it would probably be taxed. And keep in mind that Jesus is there calling on Matthew. He has at least four fishermen that are already in his group of disciples. Uh, Andrew and Peter and James and John. I don't think there was any love lost in that group between them towards Matthew. But Matthew was probably a kind of man that was driven. He abused people. Uh, he, he took advantage of people who were poor and needy and just poured it on with these taxes. He was not a good man. But yet I believe Matthew was a man who was full of contradictions and chaos. Being a Jew, his parents, Jewish, he knew God's law. He knew that he was violating it by taking advantage of his fellow man. He knew that he was cruel to people. Matthew doesn't tell us. I just think in my heart of hearts, my gut, that he was really conflicted on the inside. And Jesus came, and he saw him there at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And what did Matthew do? He followed him. Now, let's quickly define what it means to follow. There have been a, a few evenings where my friend Jeff Shear has said, Danny, follow me. We're here at, you know, Destiny, and, and we're before the service, and I know Jeff. Jeff's never led me astray. I follow Jeff. And inevitably, he leads me inside or outside to a job that needs to be done. He makes sure I understand what to do, trained very well, and I do it. And then, I, the funny thing is, I don't follow Jeff home at the end of the service. I mean, what would Ann say? You know, that's kind of creepy. I don't put myself under his tutelage and learn all there is to know about God through Jeff, even though there is much to learn. No. We go our separate ways at the end of the service, and we go home. To follow Jesus is to go to the home, is to become a part of his group, to live with the rabbi Jesus. And, of course, Jesus rarely had, I think, a roof over his head, a place that he called home in his three years of ministry. But Matthew understood what it meant to follow me. It's to give my life up. It's to learn the ways of God through Rabbi Jesus. It's to surrender my rights. It's to serve him no matter what the task is. I will help so that he can be the word and get it out. The living word of God. And so Matthew got up and he followed. Now let's look at verses 10 and 11. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, two other writers of the biographies of Jesus, Mark and Luke, tell us that this was the house of Matthew. Matthew had invited him to dinner. Allison, did I forget the video? Okay, all right. Let's go back to that video. This is what happens when you haven't preached in a while, okay? I need a rhythm because I'm an introvert. 
So we live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. We live in the same... All right, that's a great clip from The Chosen. Have you seen The Chosen yet? Well, I, I highly encourage you to watch that, The Chosen. Uh, get used to different. Yeah, that's what happens when you give your life to Jesus. He came for us. So he might save us from our sins. And when you turn to Jesus Christ, just get ready for different on a consistent basis. But it's a good different, a wonderful, kind different. Now I'm back to verses 10 and 11. They're, they're dining at Matthew's home. Now, we're not exactly sure the motives here, but I think Matthew is celebrating as he's turning away from a life that gave him chaos and unrest and a heavy burden on his soul. And he's going to follow Rabbi Jesus. And who's there dining with them but other tax collectors and sinners? Because, friends, when you're a tax collector, you're a social outcast. Uh, the only friends you have are other tax collectors, right? And so they are there. And Matthew has invited them. What an example of redemption. Uh, I mentioned friends earlier that over a period of six years, uh, four friends that shared Jesus with me how to be reconciled with God. That's a true friend. And here's Matthew bringing other friends to Jesus. Uh, redemption, and I'm speaking to myself first, we need to 
Well, I don't know how to say it. We need to get closer to God so that we are telling other people about Jesus, about who Jesus is, the wonderful Savior that he is, the gracious God that he is, and what he's done in our lives. Our sweet pastor, he leads the way. I mean, he sets an example. He shares stories all the time, not because he's bragging, but trying to move us off of, you know, first base here to where we want to share Jesus with people, you know? He's discipling people, and that's what we do as disciples. And I know you're worn out. Well, you're worn to a frazzle, but so were these disciples. We, redemption, will only grow as we make disciples. Our pastor's here to equip us, assemble a, a wonderful staff. But we got to do that work if we want to. Let's do it together. Be like Matthew. The first thing he does, he invites other people like him. And the, when the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, saw this, they said to his disciples, that's a great idea. I'm so glad you invited other sinners and tax collectors. Not, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He, they asked the disciples this, but Jesus has a wonderful response as we move on to verses 12 and 13. But when he heard it, Jesus, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, maybe tongue-in-cheek, Jesus is kind of saying, uh, those who think they are well have no need of a physician. Because the Pharisees, they were the rock stars of religion. They knew the Old Testament, not just about it, they knew it. They had learned all the written and oral traditions handed down through the last few centuries. They prided themselves on knowing God and knowing the scriptures. They were, though, full of themselves and not of God himself. They needed a doctor as much, if not more, than these tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, go and learn what this means. Now, for Jesus to say to these uh, learned scholars, go and learn anything, was an insult towards them. He was in their faces, friends. He was not afraid of them. He was not afraid to call a hypocrite a hypocrite, a snake a snake. And he said, go and learn, and he's bringing up a, a little tidbit from the book of Hosea in the Old Testament where the people were offering their sacrifices on a regular basis, but their hearts were cold and worshiping idols in addition to the one true living God. Go and learn. Oh, the Pharisees hated him for that. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, I want to move on here, not just because of time, but that's the way my message is written. I want you to, as I move on, think about Matthew's perspective in all of this, where Matthew has been as a tax collector, despised, hated among all people, except other tax collectors. He's come to be invited. No, well, friends, this really wasn't an invitation. It was a command by Jesus when he said, follow me. And if we want eternal life, we want to be made right with God, we, we need to see this not just as an invitation, but a a command to follow. And Matthew did, and I think he began to see his life changed. He began to be with all the disciples, following Jesus, serving Jesus. He went from serving the state to serving God, from learning tax law to learning Jesus 101. Think about it, though. Is there, did Jesus 101 ever go on to 2 and 3 and 4 and just end sometime? He's infinite, right, in his love and his mercy and his grace, and his, he, he just is. We just keep on learning about Jesus. And so we come to this interval, about a chapter, chapter and a half before we get to chapter 11, where Matthew is with the disciples and Jesus, and Jesus was busy. 
He was always busy doing something. He was busy praying on a mountain to God his Father, or he was busy healing a woman of a 12-year disease and raising a dead girl. But the father had come to Jesus and said, my, my daughter has died. And Jesus came and he raised her from the dead. He heals two blind men. Now they can see. I wonder who they thanked. He heals a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak. The demon is gone. The man's mouth is open. I wonder whose virtues he extols. Jesus Christ. He sends out the 12, including Matthew, to heal the sick and to cast demons out of people. Here's now Matthew. He was boots on the ground for some time as a tax collector, and he was hated. Now he's a soldier in God's army. He's a, a part of the disciples who are under the authority and the power of God, bringing healing to people. Uh, put yourself in Matthew's sandals. What was that like? Uh, what did Jesus say in the, the clip? Get ready for different. That's kind of different, you know? And that's kind of what he did in my life. Now, don't think I've been casting out demons. I haven't or healed any sick. But he's changed me from the inside out. He's made me a new man. He's taken a man who was afraid to take a step on a stage without his knees knocking together to a man that getting pretty old, but he loves people because of Jesus, for Jesus. He adores you, and he wants you to be in a relationship with him. But I move on. We come next to a, a passage where Jesus is going to denounce some cities. There were three cities where Jesus did his mighty works in front of them, but they did not believe, they did not repent, turn away from their sins. They loved the miracles, but they didn't love the miracle maker. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Now, a couple weeks ago, our pastor spoke about repentance, metanoia. Uh, it means a change of mind, uh, a change of mind about who we are, who God is, a change of mind about my sin, that my sin separates me from God, and that Jesus Christ came to die for those sins and rise again. These people would not repent. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades? For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom, it would have been remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Sodom was a city in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, that was uh, steeped in sexual sin, and God judged them. But much worse for Capernaum. They had the very Son of God there, healing, doing these miracles in front of them, but they would not turn to him as Messiah. Well, they were full of themselves. They refused to recognize their burdens and come to the one who was the burden bearer, Jesus Christ. And that brings us to an iconic passage. Maybe you've heard of this. Maybe you've spent some time in it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it's been said by many that this passage has probably been read and clung to by Christians for uh, almost 2,000 years. Thousands, if not millions of people have taken comfort in this passage. It's a short passage, and my words on it will be pretty short. We're going to divide this into each verse, one verse at a time. And so, verse 28. Let's just go to the verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation, although it's an authoritative one, also can be seen as a command. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. He doesn't say, you need to do this or you need to stop doing that. Uh, he doesn't say, I need you to be strong and independent. No, come to me. Come to Jesus, not an institution, a person. 
God, fully God, fully man, come to me, all who labor. And I love that word all. You know what the word all means? All, that's right. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done in the past. And I have friends that say, I, Danny, you don't know, or maybe you do know what I've done in the past. I can't come to God. And he says, yes, come to me. Come to me. All. There's a verse in Romans 3, 23. It has a different kind of all. This is a terrible all, for all have sinned. And as a result, we fall short of the glory of God. Uh, there's this eternal gulf between us and God. And even the, the, the best of people, we cannot bridge that gulf. That's why Jesus came to be the mediator, the go-between between man and God. For all have sinned is the terrible news. But back to uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. The word labor, it might be weary. That's what it means. It means to exert yourself, uh, to be so utterly worn out, it feels like you have been beaten up. All right? And maybe that's how you felt in life or this past week. You know, it's a rat race whether you work in home or work outside the home. It's hard. You don't feel appreciated. People don't recognize what you're doing. You're on the way home. Traffic's a nightmare. Never in St. Louis, right? And you come home, and the cat has left a present for you on the carpet, all right? And we call them hairballs. I know, pastor, dogs don't do that. And we labor, we emotionally, we're out of it. We're in a funk. We're down, we're out. And he says, not just those who labor can come to him, but those are, who are heavy laden. Heavy laden refers to just the impossible religious demands of that day that the Pharisees and others put on people. Uh... They didn't care. The very people entrusted with the welfare of people, the religious leaders, thought they were too good for these people. And Jesus says to all of us, come to me, all who labor. I love this quote from Mr. Ryle. You feel unfit. You say you are not good enough. The worse you think of yourself, the better prepared you are. Christ is not a savior of those who think they are righteous, but of sinners. Aren't we grateful and thankful for that? And then uh, Jesus really calls religious leaders out on Luke eleven forty six. This verse says, For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you, you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. That's the kind of load of impossible religious demands that were upon people of that day. They were uh, laboring. They were heavy laden. And yet Jesus says, I will give you rest. I will give you a a, a revival in your heart, a, a refreshing in your spirit as you come and follow me. In the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, there's a, a verse where God is calling out his people. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and in trust shall be your strength. The next few words say, but you were unwilling. Will you be willing tonight? to come to Jesus and lay those burdens down. Verse 29, Matthew eleven twenty-nine. 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I, I realize yoke is not a word we're, you know, we use too often. Uh, I usually think of an egg yoke, okay? But this is a different kind of yoke. It was a wooden bar that was fastened to, uh, to oxen, 
they were brought together, they were united so that the person in control of that yoke, the harness, could lead them to plow the field or do the work of farming or, in this case, ministry. He says, take my yoke upon you. And that's a word of discipleship, friends. That is a word that says, okay, I submit to you, Jesus. I surrender my rights to you because you surrendered your life for me. I mean, look, folks, his, what he asked us to do is nothing. When we think of what Jesus came and did and endured and suffered from his Father on the cross, it's no wonder he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the answer to that. It's because he loves you and he loves me. And it was the only way we could gain access to God through Jesus' death and resurrection. Through his precious blood, we have redemption. My yoke, he says, take it upon you and learn from me. Our God is such a gracious God. The words he uses are so gracious. He says, come. He says, take. It's something we have to do ourselves, put that yoke on ourselves. It's a decision we make. You know, he doesn't bring us kicking and screaming. We must make that choice. And another gracious word, learn from me. That's why pastor and his staff have assembled uh, a discipleship classes, and he, he wants us to learn how to disciple people through the Discovery Bible Study Method because that's what we do as disciples. And this is who Jesus is. Oh, he gives us an eternity of reasons to come to him, but he's gentle. He's not harsh, overbearing, and he's lowly in spirit. That, that means that uh, the original meaning was not far from the ground, low to the ground. Imagine a mist in the morning that's very low to the ground. It's kind of eerie to walk through that. But Jesus is lowly. There's a, a book in the Bible of Philippians that said that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death by becoming obedient. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Are you telling me that God, God the Son, humbled himself? When I think of humbling myself because I've done something wrong, I'm arrogant, I'm proud. Jesus wasn't. He, that wasn't possible for him. But he humbled himself to the point of death. And you will find rest. There's the promise. You will find rest. You will find tranquility for your souls. I sure need it. And at the very last verse, and let me just say right now, I'm, I apologize for taking you late. All right? Uh, we want to be done by 6, don't we, Pastor? And I time this thing every time, and somehow I get too long-winded in the pulpit, all right? So that's on me. It's not on pastor. It's not on the worship team. It's on me, and I'm sorry. I'm trying to go fast while I say God loves you. <laughs> my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. His yoke is easy. He hasn't called me to do anything that was, well, I can't say crazy. I mean, I picked up my family back in 99 and moved them to... Louisville, Kentucky, just, you know, to get some academic training, kind of crazy. But he has, doesn't ask us anything where he doesn't give us the power, the desire to obey him. And my burden is light. And it is. What an exchange. It's a paradox. We're tired. We're worn out. We want to quit. And Jesus says, hey, uh, come to me and I'll take your burdens. But here, I want to put another one on you. My yoke and my burdens. But they're light. There's a verse in 1 John chapter 5. It says, well, I thought I did. But it talks about how his burdens are not, let's see, his commands are not burdensome. And they aren't. Friends, are you tired tonight? Are you worn out? Are you carrying some heavy burdens? 
if we had the wherewithal and the desire, if we came back on another night, all of us, and we sat around and talked about our burdens, we shared them because we thought we could be vulnerable, and we talked about all of our heartaches and struggles and where we're at, I really believe that the emotional baggage of that, the emotional heartache and toll on our souls would be enough to bring the Titanic down, not by an iceberg, but by our heartaches, our struggles. We are weary. We are tired. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. How do we come to Jesus? How do we confess Jesus? When I was 23, I was taught how to do that. Pastor started uh, something new, and I so appreciate how he's willing to think outside of that proverbial box, don't you? But we've done something a, a few Sundays lately, and I want to do it as well. Uh, I want to briefly say a prayer and ask you to say it after me. I'll do it a little phrase at a time so we can keep up. Uh, as I'm doing that, if some prayers would come forward, uh, I think you know who you are, that I'll be inviting you off in just a moment if you'd like to pray with, some, with someone because, friends, I know we can, we can leave this place with burdens, but some of us need to share our burdens with somebody that will listen and love you and pray for you. Craig, if you'd, yeah, just come over here, brother, so we have both sides covered. All right, but I'm going to pray. Would you say this out loud? Now, folks, I know that some of you have prayed this prayer before. You know what it means. You understand it. You've made it personal. But for the sake of everyone, would you repeat it with me? All right, I'm going to bow my head. Father, we thank you. Say it with me. For the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that I was never good enough to get to heaven. But I trust in you, Jesus. I thank you that you rose from the dead. And I place my faith in you now, Jesus. And I repent. I have a change of mind. I'm sorry for my sins. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.